Hey there, future friends. This week, I'm planning on doing my first A24 featured episode as long as a strike goes on. Because remember, here at Future Flicks, we support the workers. This is Future Flicks with Billiam. everyone welcome to the show that's right i am back with an a24 focused episode in this episode i'm doing two of my favorite two of my most hated a24 movies i recently went down a rabbit hole of seeing exactly how many movies they do and i have seen a piss poor amount of them and even there are some huge ones that i have missed so this makes me realize i need to watch more a24 movies because you know what they're they're supporting the strike they're they're doing their part they agreed with what SAG-AFTRA and the writers were asking for and that's a great thing that's what we want to see and that is why even though I'm not talking about any other movies I am going to talk about A24 and whatever other studios join them in doing this if any others do then I will talk about them So let's actually talk about A24 a little bit. We know that they are a company that produces indie films, but we also know that they're... Are they even really an indie film producer at this point? Because they are huge. A24 does huge movies. They get big stars. They do 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 impressive-looking films, like The Green Knight, which I'm not talking about this week, and Everything Everywhere All at Once, which I'm not talking about this week were visually amazing movies, so it's not like they're just running around with a handheld camcorder while some guy in a man bun yells directions at some actors. This is a big deal studio. But I do think it counts because they are not one of the major studios. They aren't these huge conglomerates worth billions and billions of dollars with CEOs that make more than anyone really should. But I'm really happy that at least this company is doing the right thing by the workers. In other strike news, we know that the that UPS made a deal with the Teamsters to stop this strike. We know the Teamsters got what they wanted, and we now know that FedEx, who is also thinking of striking due to basically mistreatment and low wages, are doing the same thing. We got to show these companies that it's not okay to pay your people next to nothing. People need a living wage. Because... The amount people make and the cost of living does not go up in the same amount. If it did, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I mean, we might still be because no one should be making as much as these these billionaires do, but it'd be easier to live. People wouldn't need two, three jobs. So that's why I'm doing my part. What little I can do, don't even get me wrong, I am aware of what little voice I have, but I still want to do my part. So here it is. I am not talking about the movies that are coming out this week like I normally do. Instead, we're focusing on a studio that does good things. But what I do want to start with, actually, is a movie from A24 that's been making headlines. I have not seen it. So this film is called Talk To Me. It came out last week on the 28th. 
True, I could have talked about it in last week's episode, but it really didn't occur to me. And here I am now, a week late. So Talk To Me is about a group of friends who discover how to conjure spirits using an embalmed hand. They become hooked on the new thrill until one of them goes too far and unleashes a terrifying supernatural force. This stars no one of note, but it's the current hot horror movie that everyone's talking about. I've seen this talked about on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, people are talking about it. Straw Hat Goofy, one of my favorite movie content creators, saw it and said it's not just his favorite horror movie of the year, it could be his favorite movie of the year. And there are only a couple times I did not agree with one of his reviews, so I look at him as a very reliable source. Talk to me looks pretty good because in the trailer we see this young woman and she's hanging out with her friends and they have this creepy ass white, like super white, alabaster white looking hand, obviously not connected to anything else. And if you shake it and say, talk to me, you can conjure spirits. So it's more about this cool little thing, kind of like f***ing around with a monkey paw. Uh, if you remember that old story or remember that Treehouse of Horrors Simpsons episode where, oh, this is a cool thing until it starts to f*** with you. According to Straw Hat Goofy in his review, what this is about is about this young woman who lost her parents or just her mom or someone and she's trying to connect with them. Uh, actually, now that I think about it, in the trailer, I'm pretty sure I see her in a hospital room. So maybe her mom's in a coma and she's trying to use it as a way to contact her mom. But then the question is, not what are they talking to, but what have they released? In true A24 fashion, we have a movie that could have been just basic. It could have been just another Wish Upon, just another Ouija. Movies I still liked, don't even get me wrong, but they make it interesting. Like this is about a bunch of British teens, so my wife will hate this. She's from Wales, but she hates things with British people in it. And it has nothing to do with the British colonizing and taking over Wales. It's just like she doesn't like British movies for some reason. Uh, sure. But there are a lot of great camera angles. Like there's this one part in the trailer where this guy is sitting in the chair and he tips over and the camera follows him. So he stays straight up and down in the shot. And then he lands on the side and then the chair goes back up and the camera follows him. It's nothing that hasn't been done before, but I just like things like that still because it's a little out of the ordinary. Just little things like that can do a lot to a film where it can keep it just a little bit above par. And even with the A24 films I didn't like, even some I hated, they can always at least do that. The two A24 movies I'm going to talk about that I didn't like this week, I can at least look at and understand why someone else would. I can look at it and see what others can see, even if it didn't speak to me. So Talk To Me looks like it's a very good horror film, kind of like what Bloomhouse likes to put out, kind of like what James Wan does, where it's going to build this atmosphere of terror. So it's not just jump scares. They're probably going to be jump scares, though, but it does not fully rely on those. But instead, it's going to build this feeling of dread that's going to just soak up the entire movie. So you're just waiting for shit to happen. And so thus, when something happens, it is going to seem that much scarier, even though if you saw it normally in some any in any other film, it'd be like, oh, OK, I guess that was a little scary. But now, because of the atmosphere, because they know how to build it up, because they know and understand tension, it's going to be so much better. The one critique that Straw Hat Goofy does give that may actually make me not like the film a bit is that apparently the main character, played by a young woman named Sophie Wilde, 
he says that she gives a stellar performance, that she is absolutely fantastic, but her character is awful, like truly terrible, which makes you wonder, why are these other kids hanging out with her? What do they see in her? She's nothing but a problem and mean and everything. What, what does she possibly bring to the table? And I have trouble with movies like that, where you can't sympathize with the main character at least at least a little bit give me something where i can at least go oh hey i know that they're terrible but i understand why they did this just give me that but i am really really looking forward to this movie but i am probably going to wait to see it at home in fact i'm probably just going to own this when it comes out and watch it around halloween if you are a big horror fan i would definitely try to see this in theaters especially because we want to try and show the other companies out there going, look, you can give actors and writers their fair wages and treat them like people and still make money. So if you want to go see this, definitely go see it. I do think it's going to be worth your time if you want to. Also, I don't think you're going to miss out if you want to wait to see it at home. And I don't know how many more times I'm going to say this until the strike ends, but here's my score for Talk To Me. It gets an 8.5 out of 11. My friends, let us just take our break right now. I lied. Let's talk about my first least favorite A24 film, and that's called Eighth Grade. We'll do the break after that. An introverted teenage girl tries to survive the last week of her disastrous eighth grade year before leaving to start high school. This stars Elsie Fisher and Josh Hamilton. I'll be honest, I kind of liked this film at first. When my wife and I watched it, it was over. I was like, oh, hey, that wasn't that bad. I wasn't a big fan, but I didn't mind it. But the more I think about it, the more I can't stand the idea of ever watching this movie again. I I get that Bo Burnham is very, he's a very divisive person. I know he's never fully been canceled. He's come under fire for doing blackface in his earlier videos and then coming out and apologizing, which is, which is exactly what you should do. You need to own that shit and say, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't think I was a stupid asshole back then, and own that shit. and then, you know, never do it again. And also, he's come under fire for some of his jokes, and I, I don't care, really. I just don't think he's funny. Like, I liked the Joe Biden song. Uh, I liked a couple of his other, like, one or two of his other things, but other than that, he just bores me. I don't find him interesting. And an interesting conversation to have with this movie regarding Bo Burnham because he wrote the film too is that it kind of gives me the ick that this grown-ass man wrote a movie where a how old are you are you supposed to be in eighth grade um like 12 13 where this teen or preteen girl was talking about her sexual experiences or lack thereof trying to get this kid to like her and my question with movies like this is where's the line so let's get off this super gross topic and instead talk about the film as a whole. School is hard. It is. Even for a blonde-haired, blue-eyed white girl, school can be hard. And I think that's why it is good that they have Elsie Fisher play this role because she looks like so many other kids out there that it is kind of like saying, hey, even you can have troubles. It's true that maybe people of color or the Alphabet Mafia may have more troubles than you, but it doesn't mean you don't have your own. But at the same time, I also found this film boring. I could relate with some of what 
LC's character went through. Because I was a terribly shy nerd in middle school, I had a couple close friends, but I wasn't popular, I wasn't cool, I, I was largely ignorable. But the fact of the matter with 8th grade is that even though through my first watch-through, at an only watch-through so far, at the end, I was like, okay, that was good. Now, looking back on it, I can't, like I said, I can't stand the thought of watching it again. I don't want to have to sit through that again. And it's not like there's one specific thing that made me go, nah, I don't want to see this again. No super cringy scene. There was some cringe in it. And I, if you know me, you know I hate cringe because of my terrible secondhand embarrassment. But it's not just that. The movie was just so meh overall that even though it was trying, it seemed like it was trying to do something good with its message, it just didn't work. And I think the fact that I can't even, I can't ever see myself rewatching this and not for some specific reason is a big red flag. And that's why eighth grade originally may have been in the other section, but now it is one of my least favorite A24 films. Did you like the film? Tell me why. Honestly, I don't care if people disagree with me, just please do so kindly and let's have a conversation about this. What did you like? What didn't you like? Let's talk about that. Well, my future friends, let's take our first and only break as we hear a word from our friends at the Somewhat Nerdy Radio Podcast, and we're doing fine with Robbie and Lisa. Please stay tuned. Are you looking for a nerd podcast that touches on every walk of nerd culture? Well, look no further. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is the podcast for you. We cover nerd culture, news, new movie reviews, bad movie reviews, video games, comics, with sprinkles of nerdy nostalgia throughout. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is a flagship podcast of the Somewhat Nerdy Podcast Network. Find us on every podcast app or stream it on SomewhatNerdy.com. Good journey, nerds. Hi, I'm Lisa. And I'm Robbie. And we host a show called We're, We're Doing, Doing Fine. Fine. We're friends from across the ocean. I'm from Scotland. And I'm from California. Join us every week as we chat about biscuits. You mean cookies. Brexit. Whatever's going on here. Who knows? Almost dying. Why we're single. Popular culture. And basically everything and anything that can distract us from this postmodern hellscape we're all living in. Because we're, we're doing, doing fine. fine. All right, future friends, we are back. And let's talk about my first of my favorite A24 films. And that's one of the first ones I ever saw called Ex Machina. This is from 2014. A young programmer is selected to participate in a groundbreaking experiment in synthetic intelligence by evaluating the human qualities of a highly advanced humanoid AI. This stars Alicia Vikander, Domo Gleason, Oscar Isaac, and Sonia Miznuno. I can't remember if this was actually the first A24 film I saw or just the one that put them on my list. Or on my radar, that is. Because this is a great cast. I loved Domino Gleason, Oscar Isaac. Actually, it's the first time I noticed Oscar Isaac. In fact, those first three in the cast, I consider some of the best we have today. And we have this movie that, yes, you can kind of see where it's going just because it's about this guy who's sent to this eccentric billionaire's house who has made this walking, talking AI robot android thing. What could possibly go wrong? How could this possibly be a vague retelling of Frankenstein? How could this be a modern reimagining of 2001? 
I don't know, maybe that's just a very popular story to tell, especially within the world of science fiction. We go a little too far, our reach extends a little too much, and we suffer because of it. Like, let's be honest, did any of you who saw this movie go into it thinking that it could end anything but poorly? So we have this tech billionaire type, this Steve Jobs, this Mark Zuckerberg type who is really trying to give off the feeling that he's just one of us. And I know that's not a big part of the movie, but that's the feeling I get from how Oscar Isaac plays it. Like he started out as some normal dude, and then after all the fame, after all the success, after the money, he was like, you know what, I'm still a leveled person, but he's not really. And then let's forget the fact that he gets a little creepy with some of his creations, right? I think I do remember that. It has been a while since I've seen this movie, but I remember him getting creepy with the other android robot thing. And that's part of the first signs that Domino Gleason's character sees that, n that not everything is right, that it's not all hunky-dory in Neverland. And this movie also tackles the idea of what do we do when we actually create true artificial intelligence, not like ChatGPT or something like that that can learn to pass the bar. Something that can truly think on its own, what do we do then? What are the legal and moral ramifications of that? Let's be honest, legal ramifications will err on the side of the billionaires because, well, because money talks. But morally, what is the right thing to do? Once it has consciousness, what is the right thing to do? So you may have created this, your company and yourself if you're Oscar Isaac, you may have created this thing, so in a sense, if it was still just a computer, you would own it, but now it can think, now it has feelings, now there's just so many more questions that we haven't even asked yet. So as this movie goes on, the moral implications are brought up because we learn that, and by the way, spoilers for all of these, I'm sorry I didn't say anything about that, but spoilers for all of these movies. I didn't say that for 8th grade because, frankly, I didn't care enough to talk about the ending. And it's also not the kind of movie that you'd be like, oh, wow, this was spoiled for me. It's going to ruin everything. But this one, a little bit more of a thriller, kind of, so that could have a little bearing on it. So spoilers for this nine-year-old movie, which hurts, hurts my head. Really does. So we learn that Ava who is played by Lisa Vikander, the AI, is not the first, nor will she be the last of these AIs, these androids that he's making. And each time they are kind of just reset, start from scratch. So even though they have consciousness, it's all just poofed, erased. And not only that, but we learn of all the mistreatment from Oscar Isaac. So not only does he get creepy with them, but there's terrible mistreatment, so much so that the AIs, the, the androids, try to escape. They have such a sense of self-preservation that they try to get away from him. So now we have uh, Caleb, Donald Gleason's character. Yes, I had to look up these names. I forgot them. Caleb, who's asking himself, what does he do? Because all this time he's idolized Nathan, played by Oscar Isaac. He's idolized this guy, but he's kind of a monster. He's kind of a piece of shit. Despite his, hey, I'm a cool guy, we can rap, you know, we can talk, persona. The thing, though, that I really liked about this movie was that the whole time Ava was planning. 
And we start to see this as the movie goes on, but especially when Ava talks to Kyoko, the other uh, android that Nathan mistreats, and gives her a knife, kind of hinting that, you know, kill this guy, it's the only way we'll be free. Then we go to the climax of the movie, and we have Nathan dead. Caleb's like, cool, Ava and I have this rapport. Uh, we kind of like each other, so we're going to escape together. Guess what? Not happening. You've been manipulated the whole time, which is kind of f***ed up to Caleb. But to be fair, she didn't see any other way out. And the only person who knows what she is and what she has done is Caleb. I personally like to think that Caleb escaped because he is a smart guy. He may find a way out, but it is implied that he is left to die in this secret compound. And then Ava is now out among the living. And unlike Terminator, no one's really in danger. She took out the people she needed to, and now she just kind of wants to live. There's no real hint that she's going to try to create more of her or take over the world. She's just living her life. So am I sad that Caleb gets the shaft in this? Yes, especially because he quite clearly wanted to give the shaft to Ava. She knew that and took advantage of it. Did someone innocent get hurt? Yes. Yes, they did. But Ava probably knew that what, what else could have happened? That, yeah, maybe they would escape and they could be together, but she didn't really like him. She was just tricking him. But then she would have to keep, the, keep up this ruse of, yes, I do like you, because what if he is the kind of guy to go, oh, you dumped me, now I'm going to f*** you over. What if, what if he is one of those toxic bros? You know, he drives a big old lifted truck that he doesn't actually use for, like, rough work and stuff like that. And he has these wraparound sunglasses that he wears, you know, place on his ears, but from behind. She doesn't know what kind of guy he is. So I, I did understand the ending, even though I was a little disappointed by it, from the sense that I liked the character. But... All in all, a good movie. You could easily write papers about this movie saying, hey, we have this, we, we have God, Oscar Isaac, we have Eden, which is the compound, and we have Eve, who is Ava. I'm not really sure if we can really look at Caleb as Adam, because he wasn't created by Nathan but th this is the kind of movie you can just watch and enjoy, or you can have a philosophical discussion about, and I like movies like that. And that is why it's one of my favorite. So now let's go on to one that disappointed me. I'm going to say disappointed, not that I hate it per se, but I wanted to like it a lot more than I did. And that movie is from 2017, and it's called Ladybird. In 2002, an artistically inclined 17-year-old girl comes of age in Sacramento, California. This stars Saoirse Ronan, Laurie Metcalf, Tracy Letts, Lucas Hedges, Timothy Chalamet, Beanie Feldstein, Lois Smith, Steve McKinley Henderson, and Odea Rush. God, people f***ing love this movie. When this movie came out, people nutted their pants for it. And I get it. Greta Gerwig is talented. She has that movie out now, everyone's talking about, Barbie. Greta Gerwig knows what she's doing, but this movie just, I expected a lot more from it, especially from all of the hype it got. So we have this young woman, and I had to look up a lot of stuff about this movie just to remember it, named Christine. And she no longer wants to be called Christine, her new name is Lady Bird. Does she particularly love Lady Bird Johnson? I can't remember. 
but her whole thing is that she just wants to get out of the area. And you live in Sacramento, so I can understand why. She wants to go to the East Coast because she thinks that the West Coast has no culture. And again, you're in Sacramento. I could see why. Come to the Bay Area. There's more here. So a lot of things start happening around the same time. She joins the theater department. She gets a crush on Lucas Hedges' character, Danny. Because also Danny has a life she wants, a family that's normal. They have a big house. They're not living paycheck to paycheck. And he represents what she thinks she wants. So she tries to date him. And then also around the same time, she meets... Okay, what was that girl's name? Jenna, a snobby rich girl. And Jenna thinks that Ladybird lives at Danny's home, so thinks she's rich too. So she just runs with it, starts hanging out with this group of... I'm quite partial to the term pseudo-intellectuals. Like this douche, absolute douchebag played by Timothy Chalamet. The kind of guy who... He was a hipster before hipsters were a thing. And not only that, but he's a perfect hipster. But the point of this whole movie is that Ladybird is this young girl who is unhappy in her current situation and thinks she knows what she wants. She thinks if you just get to the East Coast, it will fix everything. And if she just gets these new friends and if she gets some money, it will fix everything. And guess what? Money don't fix shit. Not when the problem is inside of you, because don't get me wrong, if I suddenly won the lottery, it would fix a lot of problems for me. Remember, people who say money can't buy you happiness has never been poor. Thankfully, I've never been poor poor, but I, I've i just scraped by enough that I can appreciate the fact that money can do a lot. I think I talked about money a little too much in this little part, because it's not a huge part of the movie, it's mainly about Ladybird and her mom, and how Ladybird's mom is working herself to the bone, trying to do everything for her family, trying to do everything for Ladybird, and Ladybird is just not having it. She is being a spoiled brat, and I actually find her irredeemable. And this could be the fact that I'm not a parent, and 100% if I had a kid that I had a relationship like that with, and they treated me like that, I would be hurt, and if they eventually came to me and said, I'm sorry, of course I would let them, and we would try to rekindle our relationship. But that's real life. This is a movie. F*** that kid. Because by the end of the movie, we learn that her boyfriend is gay. He wants to live his best life. Go you. She realizes that her friends, her rich friends, are just pieces of shit. Go you. But then she finally gets to the East Coast and almost drinks herself to death. And sometime in that... Within her drinking so much that she has to be hospitalized, she realized, oh, I've been a huge bitch to my mother. She has worked so hard for me, I need to appreciate her a little more. And I did have to look up the ending, like I had to look up a lot about this movie, but she calls her mother, and that's it. We're, we're kind of left to dwell on what happens. Does her mom forgive her? And do they become closer? Does her mom reject it? Even though it's supposed to be open, I 100% believe her mom would accept it. Not just because, oh, she's a mother and she loves her daughter, but because this is who we were taught her mother was the whole movie. Greta Gerwig, who wrote and directed this, Greta Gerwig knew who the mother was. Marion, that, that's her name. She knew who Marion was the whole time. Lady Bird treated her mother like sh the entire movie 
and she ate it. She just took it with a smile, or, you know, maybe they argued or something, but she took it, basically, and continued to provide for her daughter, not just because it's what you have to do as a parent, but because that's what she does. And so even though her daughter is a gigantic bitch, because yes, you can say that Lady Bird was just young, but uh, there's a line, there, there really is a line. So even though Lady Bird treated her terribly, I think that Laurie Metcalf's character, Marion, is just waiting for it. Waiting for her daughter to realize how awful she's been and come back to her. Maybe not come back to her and go, oh, mama, I'm never going to leave you. But just, mom, I'm sorry I realized how terrible I've been and, and thank you for everything you've done. And I really think that's how the movie was going to go had it been like 10 minutes longer. Because of the way Marion was written, because of the way the movie went, I don't think the movie's ending is as open as everyone likes to think it is. And so, yes, I did put Lady Bird in the bad section of my A24 movies, but I really didn't hate it. I was just disappointed that I didn't like it more. I found Lady Bird to be a terrible character. Like, she is a little sh**. Like, if she did die at the end from alcohol poisoning, I would have just been like, all right, cool. But this is also a movie I'm never going to rewatch. I watched it once. I can appreciate it for the stellar acting. Saoirse Ronan f***ing kills it. She does a great job. I may hate her character with a passion, but she is fantastic in this. Laurie Metcalf kills it. Everyone does a good job. Even though I wanted to punch him in the f***ing face, Timothy Chalamet, great. There's so much good in this movie, but I just couldn't look past the fact that I hated the main character, that I thought the movie dragged a bit, and that even after the ending, I just felt like, okay, I saw it, now what? Ex Machina, I could rewatch. The next movie I'm going to talk about, I could rewatch. Ladybird, I can't. So that is why I put it on my A24 movie list that I didn't like. And finally, my future friends, let's end on a positive note with a movie from 2020 that I watched on a plane of all places called Minari. A Korean-American family moves to an Arkansas farm in search of its own American dream. Amidst the challenges of a new life in the strange and rugged Ozarks, they discover the undeniable resilience of family and what really makes a home. This stars Steven Yun, Yeri Han, and Will Patton. So I was worried when I saw this movie. I really wanted to like it because if you've listened to the show for a while, you know that I love to support Asians in Hollywood because we're still a underrepresented group. I mean, we, we may no longer be relegated to playing Kung Fu masters and grocery store owners anymore, but still you don't see a lot of Asians. And if all that hubbub with the Hawaii Five-O TV show taught us anything, it's that Asians also get underpaid, which is not solely an Asian thing, don't, don't get me wrong, a lot of minorities. But I wanted to like this movie, but I was also a little scared. Because frankly, the trailer seemed a little boring. But as I watched the movie, I noticed that yes, it it kind of was a boring story, but I was still engrossed. I cared about this family. So we have Jacob, who's the father of this family, and Monica, his wife. And with their kids, they moved to Arkansas from California to live the American dream, to start a farm. Jacob has this idea that he's going to grow Korean produce to sell to markets in Dallas. But in the meantime, while they wait for the crops to grow, they need a job. So they get a, get a job sexing chicks at a nearby hatchery, which apparently 
is a thing people do where you literally lift the chicken up or the chick baby chicken look around down at the bottom see if it is an innie or an Audi, and then puts them in one of two places but then they need help with the kids so they ask monica's mother sunja to come from south korea to help them and one big part of this movie that i loved so much was the relationship between david the young boy and sunja his grandma because sunja sleeps in david's room and david is against her from the get-go like nope you don't act like a grandma should so no we're not doing this but as the movie goes on they warm up to each other and they get this really nice really sweet relationship which makes what happens later oh so sad but as they're doing that jacob's working hard on the farm uh, a water diviner came by and said hey let me help you find a well he said no i'm gonna do it myself i'm gonna do everything myself that doesn't work too well the well dries up and like every night jacob and monica are fighting their kids can hear it things aren't going well mainly because they upended their lives and they have everything riding on this I forgot what they did in California, but they put everything into this. And then the place that they were going to sell their produce to in Dallas backs out, goes, nah, we're, we're not going to do this. And not only that, but their son has a heart condition. And that's part of why they work so hard is to get money so David's heart can get better. And as all this is going on, a big part of the film or a key part of the film is when Soonja takes David to plant minati seeds by the creek it is a plant also known by other names like water celery chinese celery indian pennywort japanese parsley uh, used throughout asia and that's that that planting of the minati there kind of symbolizes the family like out of their element can it survive then unfortunately one night after Sunja and David grew closer, Sunja has a stroke. She survives, but she's left with impaired speech and impaired movement, which, you know, hits a little close to home after what happened to my dad, but it's a realistic thing to have in movies. I mean, we it is something we have to be careful of. You gotta go to the doctor, gotta be careful of your health. I may be overweight, but I go to the doctor at least once a year to get everything looked at. But anyway... When they're taking David to one of his appointments after the stroke, they meet a Korean grocer and they make a deal. They make a deal going, hey, we'll sell you our produce. And the guy's like, yeah, f yeah, let's get some Korean produce up in this bitch. But then during this, Jacob kind of f***s up and he hints that making the farm work is more important to him than his family. But then guess what happens when they get back? Soonja got out of the house accidentally sets the barn on fire that has all of the produce they're going to sell it's a blaze when they get back david runs out monica runs out they're trying to put out the fire making sure no one's in the house in in the barn and then they realize they can't save it so they save each other they pull each other out and then we have this kind of sudden ending where we fast forward a little bit from this fire and the water diviners out there digging a new well and then Jacob and David go out to the creek and harvest the Minati, which has grown so wonderfully. And then the movie just kind of ends. And even though it kind of ends and we don't know how things turn out for them, we can assume things go better because they realized, or David realized what, or not David, Jacob realized what's important, stopped trying to save the crops, got him and his wife out of there, 
And then also, since the Minati that was planted symbolizes the family, and it did so well, we can hope that they do just as well. This is a slice of life film, and it's one that I think I could rewatch, but it's gonna be a while. It's gonna be at least another few years, if not even more, before I rewatch it. Because even though I did really like this movie, I love the symbolism, I love how you can dive into so much of what happens and just talk about the meaning behind everything. I just don't need to see it again for a while. If you haven't seen this movie, watch it. Watch it at least once. It is a good film. Do you ever need to watch it again? Maybe not. Maybe you don't. And that's perfectly fine. Because I think you will enjoy yourself. I think you will fall in love with at least one member of the family. Maybe not Jacob, if we're being honest. You'll find the relationship that grows between Sunja and David to be very heartwarming. And just the idea that they're going to be okay when the movie ends really works. Minati is a good film, and I really liked it. I think rewatchability is a big deal for movies, but it's not so big that if a film doesn't have it, that doesn't mean it's bad, if that makes sense. Well, my future friends, that's it for this episode. A note about the next episode. I know I said before that I was going to jump back and forth, talk about some A24 films, talk about some books I want to see turned into movies. But then I also learned that Neon and Lionsgate supposedly aren't being struck as well. So I'm just going to go for it. I think next episode, I want to talk about the only four Neon films I have seen. I looked at all of them. I've only seen four. And we'll talk about those. And Lionsgate's been around for a while. I don't really consider them indie at all, but I don't think they're being struck. So I could talk about that. So at least for the next episode, I'm going to talk about the Neon films. Then we'll see where to go from there. Hopefully the strike won't last much longer, but it seems to me that these studios are being very stubborn and very greedy and just awful. So remember, support the strike, support the workers, support the actors, the writers, support everyone. Still see movies, but just don't do anything that could support the studio. Besides seeing the movie, of course, because that also helps the actors and the writers and everything. Well, my future friends, please remember that no matter where life takes you, no matter what your week has in store, just take some time to catch a flick. I'm Billion from Somewhat Nerdy signing off, and I'll see you in the future.